let's say the sh- let's say the shuttlecraft ran on cheese, Dana. What kind of cheese would it be? Limburger. It'd have to be a stinky cheese. Spock, will you cut some cheese? <laughs> oh, you're killing me. Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. My name is Dana Smith, and as always, I am joined by my friend Dan Calzaretta. Hello, Dan. Hey, Dana. How are you doing this evening? Pretty good. Another episode of Star Trek under our belts and ready to dive into the next one. Yeah, let's do it. I like this episode. Yeah, this is Galileo 7. But before we get into all that and the nightmares that I had as a child because of this episode, want to talk quickly about last week's episode, Shore Leave. Did get a few more comments. People agreed with us on several of our comments and seemed to like the way we presented it. So thank you for those comments. Thank you for the people who have been trying to reach out to us through the Facebook app. Thanks for writing in. Thanks for commenting on the show. Here we go. Galileo 7. We see the Enterprise. They're headed to Marcus 3. And as they are on their way there, they also are near a quasar-like formation called Murasaki 312. And no, that's not a Chicago area code. Or I guess it still is a Chicago area code. But Yeah, uh, I think it is. I mean, you and I both <laughs> lived in the Chicago area. That I that was our area code. Do you remember your first phone number ever, Dana? Do you want to share it with us? Or? <laughs> it was 312 Two five four two one zero nine. Huh. Mine was three one two eight four eight zero two three seven. Well, I think that's my cell number now. That's uh. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's why you're getting all these phone calls. Uh, you owe us money. <laughs> yeah. And stop doing whatever you're doing. Also on board, we learn is the Galactic High Commissioner Ferris, and he's overseeing the delivery of medical supplies because there's a plague in the New Paris colonies that is spiraling out of control. Now this guy, when he shows up on the bridge for the first time, my God, I just wanted to smack him like through the screen i just wanted to smack this guy <laughs> it's like he's got a rod up his backside and did you notice that kind of weird cape kind of thing he had on it like hangs off the back of his sleeves and is connected to the back of his coat yeah it was odd looking wasn't it yeah i thought it was weird and you could tell kirk's not happy with him when he comes on the bridge kirk is going around pushing buttons and checking things and and as the uh, high commissioner is talking to him kirk is not really paying attention to him <laughs> the high commissioner says says that they have five days in which to rendezvous with another ship, and he has three days to check out this quasar-like phenomenon. You have the original episodes, and I have yeah. the remastered ones that I'm watching. Yeah. I was pretty impressed by the quasar, and I saw pictures of what the original one looked like. You're missing out. Yeah, I saw those same pictures, and I was like, wow, The when they remastered them, they look beautiful, and they look more realistic, I think, you know, yeah. what you might really see in a space photo. In the original ones, they just look like puffs of green smoke, kind of. Yeah. Which you know, could be what a Vulcan fart looks like because they have green blood. Maybe their farts are green. You know, I haven't thought about it. It's possible. But I mean, our <laughs> blood's red. I don't fart red. <laughs> oh, damn. That whole theory of mine. You just ruined my whole theory, Dana. <laughs> So they launch a shuttlecraft, the Galileo, with seven people on board. And it's Spock, McCoy, Scotty, Lieutenants Latimer, 
Gatano and Boma and Yeoman Mears. Hey Dana, I didn't get that till just now. I didn't understand the title, the Galileo Seven. Do you think the seven is because there are seven people on the shuttle? That's what I took it to mean. Oh, I didn't even think of that until you said it. When you said it, I was like, oh, maybe that's the deal. Okay, that makes sense now. There is a picture of the Galileo Seven though, and it shows NCC-1701 and it has a slash seven. You tell me. Wow. Okay. So here's a good question for our listeners then. We need to know this one. This one's going <laughs> to bug us. Send us a comment on our Facebook page. There's a link in the description as to what you think that all means. The writer kind of took this idea from a show called Five Came Back, an old movie that had Lucille Ball. And Came back from so where? It's a plane that crashes in the jungle when there's headhunters. So I wanted to point out that uh, the I like the shuttle bay and the launching of the shuttlecraft, I, I thought it was pretty cool. Inside the shuttlecraft, it's kind of like a small airplane. It's uh, two rows of seats, going everybody lined up and uh, very kind of sparse. Next to each seat is kind of this little lighted panel. It has no readouts that I could see, but a lot of buttons to push and things to flip. We see this yeoman mirrors kind of toggling a couple of switches. And then she makes some kind of comment about we've reached right altitude or whatever she says, but it's like a stupid comment because there's she can't tell anything from looking at the switch. Yeah, and it looked like there might have even been little cup holders or something on those seats. There was some attachment to the seat. Right away, the shuttlecraft starts experiencing an increase in radiation and they're pulled into the heart of the quasar. On the Enterprise, they announce that they cannot track the Galileo and they comment that the ionization has thrown off all their sensors. Kirk says, four complete solar systems in the immediate vicinity. And out there, somewhere, a 24-foot shuttlecraft, off course, out of control. Finding a needle in a haystack would be child's play. Yeah, it was a good opening, I thought. I thought it was a really good opening to this episode. Right away, they set what the story is, you know, that they're on this mission, they're on a time crunch, and that they're going to go check out this Quasar, uh, which is something the Galactic High Command wants them to do. That is one thing that I thought was maybe not so realistic, that Kirk says they have a standing order to investigate any quasars they come across. Why? Because they're cool. Quasars are cool? Yeah. I think they are pretty cool, actually. I think you're right. They are cool. <laughs> yeah. A quasar is an extremely bright, distant object visible to radio telescopes. Yeah, so why couldn't they just use a radio telescope? We come back to the Enterprise. Kirk and the High Commissioner are having a debate over the decision to send the shuttlecraft out. Kirk gets a little testy with them. The commissioner says you shouldn't have sent them out there in the first place. Uhura comes up and says there is one planet in the solar system that is capable of sustaining life, Taurus II. As far as they can tell, the planet is about dead center of the Murasaki effect. So then next thing we see is the uh, shuttlecraft, the Galileo, on this planet. And uh, we go inside and we see the crew looks a little rough. So Dana, when we see the crew inside the, the shuttlecraft, it's obvious that they've crashed, that they've had a tough landing. Maybe not crash, but they've had a tough landing, right? Yeah. Uh, Boma has a bloody nose. Mears, her hair is uh, kind of mussed up. McCoy's checking everybody out. One of, the, uh, one of the other crewmen's like holding his arm a little bit. And then uh, Lieutenant Boma gives an explanation of how the quasar affected them and forced them down onto the planet. Scotty looks at the controls and says, What a mess. Picturesque descriptions will not mend broken circuits, Mr. Scott. 
I think you'll find your work is cut out for you. Great line. McCoy says the air outside is okay, so long as you're not running in competition. And then McCoy further adds he would not recommend this place as a summer retreat. And Spock seems a little testy with McCoy for giving his colorful commentary. Spock sends Gatano and Latimer out with phasers to scout the area. Spock tells McCoy that they might be on the planet for a long time, given the fact that the Enterprise cannot use its sensors to find them. So we get that restated a couple times to create a little bit more uh, anxiety, I guess, for the show and for the watcher, you know, for the people that are watching. On the ship, now the sensors are, are useless. And not only that, the transporters are not functioning properly. Kirk prepares the Columbus for immediate search of the planet. The commissioner states that they cannot stay for one second longer than necessary. Then he reminds Kirk of the regulations, and Kirk responds that he knows the regulations and the commissioner's authority. And so they launch the Columbus. Yeah, at that point, they should have put that guy in the airlock. He was <laughs> annoying. And Kirk even says at one point, he says, keep your nose off my bridge. And we, yeah, he needed to do that. Back on Taurus 2, McCoy comments that this is Spock's big chance for command. Spock says he does not enjoy the prospect of command, nor is he frightened of it. It simply exists and he will do whatever logically needs to be done. I really thought that Spock's approach here was absolutely the right approach. He does modify his approach as the show goes on, but I thought at the very beginning, right, they just crashed on this planet. They got to assess their situation. I mean, I think that was the right thing. Yeah, and he's being Spock and he's being very logical about it all. Back on the shuttle, uh, Boma and Mears are just pushing a bunch of buttons on their little consoles next to their seats. Boma and Mears were trying to find the in-flight entertainment. I try to give this show a lot of latitude because the day it was made. But I mean, really, there's no readouts on there. There's not even like a little needle going back and forth. It's just lights and switches. Right. <laughs> so Yeah, and there was a lot of that in the show, not only on the shuttlecraft, but also on the Enterprise. Uh, yeah. There was just a lot of button pushing and switch flipping. Oh, yeah. Scotty tells Spock that they've lost a lot of fuel and that they could never achieve escape velocity or reach orbit without losing 500 pounds. Spock replies kind of grimly, that's the weight of three grown men. Let's see, 500 pounds, three grown men. That's, that's assuming everybody's like 150 pounds. That would be... Well, 150 pounds would only be 450. Yeah. So that's 160, 70. Yeah, that's, uh, they weigh a lot less in the 23rd century is what I'm kind of coming up with here. <laughs> yeah, they would have thrown me off right away. It's like, well. <laughs> so everyone else on the on the shuttlecraft hears this discussion. I mean, the shuttlecraft's only so big. Boma seems quite displeased with the idea of someone being left behind. And Spock states that all the equipment on the shuttlecraft is essential. Boma asks, who would make the decision on who gets left behind. Spock says that since he is in command, it would fall to him. Boma then suggests that they draw lots. Spock says he is better suited to make that decision. So Boma already is like questioning Spock's logic. I think it's perfectly sensible that the commander makes the decision. That's why they're the commander. And if he was going to make decision on who's going to be left behind, wouldn't you be buddying up to him instead of like pissing him off? <laughs> that's a great, <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. I didn't think about that. Uh, Mr. Boma, would you please go outside and check on something? Uh, we'll wait for you. <laughs> you might hear the engine start up, but that's just a test. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point, though. Yeah, you would want to be like, yes, Mr. Spock. Oh, that's a great idea, Mr. Spock. Yes, I totally agree with you, Mr. Spock. But you know who doesn't? Gaetano. He's been talking about you the whole time. 
<laughs> he does not like you, Mr. Spock. Yeah, I can't stand those little pointy ears of yours. McCoy says, Mr. Spock, life and death are seldom logical. But attaining a desired goal always is, Doctor. And I love that line. I just It makes perfect sense. I'd say with every episode, Dana, there are several good lines. It seems like memorable quotes in every episode that we've reviewed so far. And I agree, that's another great line. Spock leaves and Boma says there's something wrong with his head. And McCoy kind of sits back and says, not his head, his heart. Spock moves everyone outside to further inspect the shuttlecraft for damage. We see Latimer and Gatano crawling around on rocks, and they hear a strange noise that seems to be all around them. It's kind of like this grinding noise. And all of a sudden, we see a spear and a large creature that's holding it, and the creature throws the spear. We cut back to Latimer and Gatano, and Latimer gets the spear right in the middle of his back. Gatano moves down and fires his phaser as Spock and Boma move to help. Gatano says it was something huge and terrible, something like a giant ape. Spock pulls the spear from Latimer and says the spear is similar to the Folsom Point from Old Earth. And, and, and did you notice, Dana, the, the tip of the spear is just like covered in this really bad, I'm supposed cover- to be blood, I suppose, but it just looked like someone splashed some red paint on it. It just was not good. Well, you know, back then, if you think about the TV shows that were on stuff, people would get shot and you never saw a bullet hole. You never saw blood. So do I mean? you think the- that with Star Trek, then, if they were kind of on the cutting edge of showing some of that... Previous episode, sure leave. We see the hole in McCoy's chest where he gets lanced. We see the blood on the spear. I wonder if, you know, censors had any type of discussion or problem with any of that. Yeah, that's a good question. I haven't read anything about that. Yeah, I haven't read anything either, but you're totally right. Someone would get shot in a Western and they might double over, they might fall down, but you didn't see anything. So Boma looks like he's just going to bash Spock's head in. He is obviously upset that Spock is going on and on about the how the spear was made or manufactured and how it resembles something that was found in New Mexico in 1925. When Boma challenges Spock on his way of looking at the situation, Spock replies, my concern about the dead won't bring him back to life. Yeah, now uh, at this point, he, for me, he is becoming less commander-like and becoming more Spock-like. At this point now, it's kind of like, here's Latimer on the ground. We can only imagine the hole in his back because (laughs) that spear was huge, right? And Spock's talking about the point. But what's amazing to me, people seem to think nothing of, of giving Spock grief, of challenging him. We've seen it quite a few times. People don't seem afraid to challenge him. So we go back to the Enterprise. High Commissioner Ferris is leaning against one of the control panels. He's right next to Uhura. And I swear to God, his butt is on the control panel. <laughs> so he could be pushing all kinds of sensors and, and buttons there. And, you know, it's probably why now their sensors are working because he's <laughs> sitting on the control panel. Uh <laughs> Kirk explains that they are continuing their search, but cannot deny that this feels like utter futility. Uhura says the shuttlecraft has returned after searching quadrant 779X5534M. <laughs> like Kirk would know what that quadrant is. Transporters are still down. Sensors are still not working. Ferris reminds Kirk of the time, and Kirk says they have to get the transporters working. Meanwhile, back on the planet, the shuttlecraft work continues. McCoy and Mears are bringing out boxes from the back of the shuttlecraft that will have some weight. Spock says they're still 150 pounds over. 
McCoy argues that he can't be serious about leaving someone behind. Spock says, It is more rational to sacrifice one life than six, Doctor. I'm not talking about rationality. You might be wise to start. When I heard this line, Dana, it really reminded me of probably one of the most iconic lines in all of Star Trek, which was from the Wrath of Khan. Spock, near the end of the film, he has gotten irradiated to save the rest of the crew, right? And he says something to the effect of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. This sentiment that he talks about in Galileo 7 sent me right to that clip from that film. Yeah, and I had the same thought. There's a discussion on the ship between uh, Kirk and Ferris uh, shortly after this, where Ferris says you're sacrificing hundreds of thousands on the new Paris colonies in favor of seven people. So it's the, the flip side. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Boma comes in to the shuttlecraft and says they're ready to bury Latimer. Spock says he'll keep working on the, on the ship. And McCoy argues that it's his position to say something over the fallen crewman. Spock says he is trying to improve their chances of staying alive. McCoy says, if we're going to die, let us die like men. I could be a very selfish person myself, I, you know, from time to time. I think we all can. No, but if, no, Dana, no, don't. <laughs> No one says that about you as far as you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not to my face anyway. But, yeah. <laughs> but if I was in that situation and I was dead, I would hope that my crew, my my friends would be able to survive and not worry about me because I was already gone. Yeah, I totally agree with you. We And we would do that, Dana. Uh, we would just dump you. So <laughs> yeah. you don't have Whether to- Whether I was alive or dead. Yeah, you might still be <laughs> a little bit alive. And yeah, he's probably not going to make it. No, guys, really, I'm okay. It's just, you know, no, no, Dana, no, you're not. I just got a twisted ankle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I totally agree with you. Once again, I think that Spock is making the best decision for everyone involved. To me- Everybody else was acting irrationally. Yeah. Now, how did and they I, dig I, the grave? Maybe they used their phasers. Can you dig with a phaser? Does it have like, you could, it has stun. You can it warm has, up coffee. It, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the modes on the phaser are stun, <laughs> warm up coffee, kill, and dig a hole. Yeah. I think that's it. <laughs> All right, so so those are the those are now we have established the official settings as of episode sixteen. So Scotty and Spock are working on the shuttlecraft, and now Scotty's working over a hole in the middle of the floor, and we hear like a leaking sound, just like shh. And then Scotty goes, "That does it. We're out of fuel." And Spock comments that uh, that removes the question about who to leave behind. So I got I got a question. Why does their fuel sound like an air leak? Just then, McCoy comes in from the back of the shuttlecraft and says, something is happening outside. My question is, how can you see anything from the back of the shuttlecraft? There's no exit, no windows. So was this like a premonition that he had? <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't even think about that when I saw it. Outside, we see Boma and Gatano crouch behind a rock. Boma suggests that they hit the enemy hard and make them think twice about attacking. Spock replies that he is often appalled by the low regard humans have for life. After a couple moments, Spock agrees that they should do something to scare these giant beasts that are attacking them. But he says they must weigh the components 
the dangers to themselves and the other life forms, whether friendly or not. And I thought that was a great comment that shows that, again, they're not out there just to, like, kill alien life forms. They're out there to try to respect life, period. Well, at least he is. Some of the other yeah. ones may maybe not so much. But at what point, Dana, do we hear about the Prime Directive? We haven't heard that term yet. Is that correct? No, we haven't. Finally, Spock says there is a third option. He sends McCoy and Mirrors into the shuttlecraft. He explains that they will fire to frighten not to kill. And you can tell Gatano does not like this idea. But McCoy's like, yeah, I'm going in the shuttlecraft with mirrors. You guys take as long as you need. So Spock, Boma, and Gatano go out into the fog and we see the big spear again. And it's thrown and the big spear lands right in front of them. Spock fires up at something overhead and then we see a, a creature up there that throws its shield down at them. They hear this growling and Spock suggests they take aim at 10 and 2. And Katano says, I suggest we hit them dead on. Spock says, yes, I know, but thankfully I'm in charge. So they shoot their phasers as Spock orders. And then Spock believes that they have sufficiently scared the creatures away. So he leaves Katano to behind it and takes Boma back with him. Both Katano and Boma seem to be in disbelief of Spock's orders. They're looking at each other like, what? You know, one of us has got to stay behind. Did not understand the point of leaving him behind. This has happened in a couple of episodes, though, where people have been told, you know, you stay behind. It it happened in what little girls are made of. The second red shirt was told to stand yeah. back by the... What by was the it? ledge. By the ledge. <laughs> Never a good place <laughs> to be told to stand alone by a ledge. Gaetano is told, yeah, you just stand here where some gigantic ape-like creature is throwing a shield and a, um, a spear at us, and you don't have any backup? Like, because the other guy's already been killed, you know, so good luck. Good luck with that. So back at the shuttlecraft, Scotty thinks that uh, he can use the phasers as a substitute fuel supply. Spock collects Mears and McCoy's phasers and notes that within 24 hours, the Enterprise will cease its search. We go back to the Enterprise and they're testing the transporters. Things seem to be working right. So Kirk prepares to send search crews down. The transporter guy says it will be pure luck to find anything. Kirk replies, I'm depending on luck. So back on the planet, surprise, Gatano is under attack from the beasts. He aims his phaser, but a rock hits his hand and knocks the phaser out of his hand. So he goes to reach for the phaser in the fog, and a spear almost hits him. So he jumps back, and he tries to crawl up the wall, but he can't. Then we see this big, furry creature coming towards him, and the creature descends on him, and we hear Gatano scream. So the next thing we see is uh, Spock, McCoy, and Boma where Gatano was. Spock tells Boma to go back to the ship, and he goes off without a weapon. So they're using everybody's phasers now to add fuel to the uh, to the shuttlecraft. So little by little, Spock is taking everybody's phasers away and taking away their protection. So Spock finds Gatano. He's kind of strewn over a rock. Spock picks him up. But wait a second. Hold on. Once again, Dana. <laughs> Hold on a second. So Gatano is on this rock and he's not like just laying on a flat slab it's a rock where he's he's bent over it on his back his arms are hanging out to the side his legs are just hanging out and spock looks at him and then spock puts his hands on his hips almost as if to say uh once again here's gaetano just <laughs> laying around sleeping on the job he doesn't take a pulse he doesn't try to find out if he's alive he's just looking at him and he's like eh just throw him on my shoulder and I'll carry him back. Yeah, uh, he did look a little disappointed. He's got to be 
thinking to himself, well, we're two down and Gatano probably weighs like 160, 165. So we're getting closer to that weight. <laughs> and now if I can just get Bowman <laughs> to get killed, the, the you know the rest will be easy. In this scene, I just couldn't get over the whole fact that he didn't even check to see if he was alive, you know. And we don't know. At this point, we don't know if he's alive, if he's knocked out. We don't know. We don't see a spear stuck in him. No blood. He wasn't moving. Didn't look like he was breathing. No, but again, yeah. wouldn't you check, Dana? Wouldn't you check? Well, Spock throws him over his shoulder and carries him away. So, I mean, it's not like he just left him there. No, but he didn't check to see if he was alive. That's the point I'm trying to make. So as he's running away with Katano's body over his shoulders, the creatures start throwing spears again. Did you see just the second spear, Dana? Did you see the second hit spear? hit the rock. Yeah. <laughs> what happened there? It knocked off a chunk of the rock. But it you wasn't... You directly hear the special effects guy going, don't hit the rock, it's styrofoam. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was. It hit the rock and a big chunk of styrofoam went flying off. <laughs> Well, see, that's where you're looking too closely. You just got to like it, you know, be in the moment. So Spock makes his way back to uh, the shuttlecraft. Scotty's still working on the ship. McCoy steps up and says they didn't stay frightened for very long. Spock says they had a most illogical reaction. McCoy says, did it ever occur to you that they might respond emotionally? And you could tell by the look on Spock's face, that thought never occurred to him. So they're all inside the shuttlecraft and the shuttlecraft gets rocked all of a sudden. And we see the uh, the big beast outside the, is smashing a rock on top of the craft. I love that part. <laughs> so funny. This was the thing that scared me as a kid. I remember it vividly. Yeah. And uh, Boma comes up to Spock and says, okay, Mr. Spock, you have all the answers. What now? And Spock says, your tone is becoming increasingly hostile. Spock says, step by step, I have made the logical decision. Yet two men have died. McCoy says, a little less analysis and a little more action. And Mir's adds in, we could use some inspiration. It was kind of a funny line for her because she is just a, a, a kind of a throwaway character in this episode, it seems to me. Yeah, I was not impressed by Mirrors. But again, a wasted character. Yeah, totally wasted character, yeah. The creatures stop pounding on the ship and Boma says he wants to bury... Gatano, uh, Spock says, would not be wise. Boma says, I would insist upon a decent burial, even if your body was back there. Mr. Boma. Well, I'm sick and tired of this machine. All right, Mr. Boma, you'll have your burial, provided the creatures will permit it. Back on the Enterprise, you heard reports that Landing Party 2 is back on the ship. There's one dead and two injured. Now, I have to say, Dana, when I heard that, it was <laughs> icing on the cake. Because I didn't remember that a third person is dead. I know that these two guys died on the planet, but I was like, yes, a third one. A third one has got it. Ferris comes on the bridge and orders Kirk to get underway to Marcus 3. Kirk says he still has shuttlecraft out there and search crews. Ferris says he's stalling. Kirk orders everyone back to the Enterprise and tells Sulu to set the course for Marcus 3. Back on the Galileo, Mears is trying to communicate with the Enterprise. Scotty says they've got enough power to lift off if the weight is right. Spock says the ship will take off in 10 minutes and that's how much time they have to bury Gatano. On the Enterprise, we see the Columbus landing in the shuttle bay. Uh, Uhura reports everyone is aboard and all systems are ready to go. Kirk tells Sulu to proceed on course for Marcus 3 at space normal speed. And he orders Uhura to keep sensors pointed aft in full function until further orders. So I, I got the sense, Dana, that space normal speed was slow. <laughs> relatively speaking, uh, just so... It's like idling. Kind of like idling, yeah. Just so that if Vice Commander <laughs> asshole comes back on the ship... <laughs> 
<laughs> on the on the bridge. I mean, he can say, "Hey, we're going. We're going in the right direction." And he probably wouldn't know the difference between warp and space normal speed. Back on Taurus Two, we see the burial party standing over a mound of dirt. And suddenly spears start flying in. So they run back towards the ship. Spock takes one of the spears and throws it back at the monsters. Uh, <laughs> as he's coming back, a rock is thrown and pins him against another rock. Now, when we say rock, we mean a big ball of styrofoam. <laughs> That's obviously styrofoam. Yeah, because he's holding on to the Spock is holding on to the rock and he's saying, leave me, leave me. And every time he yells, like the rock moves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and Spock's yelling, you know, go back, don't don't save me, go back. And they come and they save him, yeah. and, uh, including Boma. Once back on the shuttlecraft, they try to lift off, but the creatures are holding them down. And so Spock fires the boosters, and they're able to lift off. As everyone gets excited about taking off, Spock reminds everyone that they have yet to achieve orbit. And an hour from now, they might be right back where they started from. So Spock tells everyone as they get away from the planet that by coming after him, they might have doomed themselves, that it was illogical. McCoy says, Mr. Spock, remind me to tell you that I am sick and tired of your logic. To which Spock replies, that is a most illogical attitude. So they have enough fuel for one orbit around the planet. Scotty says, by using the boosters, they ruin any chance of maintaining orbit. And Boma says, you mean we'll burn up? Spock says, that's the usual end to a decaying orbit. And then Mears says, she doesn't want to die up here. <laughs> and the rest of them are thinking, we wish you would have died on the planet because you are really annoying us. Go stand by the door. Go stand over. Look out the window. That was a, that was a stupid line. And we're going to get another oh, one coming she's up. She's not done. She's not done yet. Yeah. Yeah. She's, you're right. Spock says it is a infinitely better death than the one they'd be facing back on the planet. Scotty reminds Spock that he had previously said there's always alternatives, to which Spock replies, I may have been mistaken. Well, at least I've lived long enough to hear that. Once again, you know, some of the best lines in this episode, and I think maybe in all of Star Trek, happen in during the banter between Spock and McCoy. Oh, yeah, definitely. I agree. So then McCoy says, so ends your first command. And Spock kind of looks troubled. Scotty says they have 45 minutes of orbit. Spock tries to hail the Enterprise, and then he reaches out, and you, they show the console, and there's a button that says, jettison fuel. Spock reaches out and flips that switch. So the ship is kind of rocked and we see a stream of green material streaming in behind the ship. Scott says he jettisoned the fuel and ignited it, leaving them with about six minutes of orbit left. So on the Enterprise, Sulu is toggling a switch back and forth like he's never realized it can toggle. Did you see? It's just like one switch that just toggles back and forth and he was just like, what is that doing? It's like, oh, this isn't doing anything. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's what's, like, what's happening Am here? I firing the phasers? Am I, <laughs> You know, <laughs> ejecting the warp. Jettison the nacelles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jettison the nacelles. Yeah. Well, the other thing I was wondering is, so the director on the set, you know, maybe Sulu says, uh, what's my motivation here? He's like, I don't know. Just flip the switch. But then Sulu looks up and he sees something on the screen, reports it to Kirk, and they're trying to figure out what it is. They determine it's not a meteorite. Back on the Galileo, Scotty realizes what Spock has done. He says, a distress signal? Like sending up a flare, Mr. Spock. 
That was good gamble. Perhaps it was worth it. And then Spock replies, no one to see it. A few moments later, Scotty says, orbit is decaying. 10 seconds to atmosphere. McCoy says, it may be the last action you'll ever take, Mr. Spock, but it was all human. Spock replies, totally illogical. There was no chance. McCoy kind of smiles and says, that's exactly what I mean. And what I like about this part is both Scotty and McCoy are saying things that are really generous to Spock. I mean, we're so all fucked, but, you, but at least you try. <laughs> <laughs> then inside, smoke is starting to fill the room, and uh, Mir states, it's getting hot in here. That's the other line, Dana. I thought Spock yeah. was going to just turn around and say, yes, <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, once again, not the sharpest tool in the shed. On the Enterprise, Uhura says transporters locked in and we see the crew get beamed out right as the ship is burning up. Uhura reports that five people were beamed up alive and well. And Kirk seemed quite relieved at this. So Kirk tells Sulu to resume course to Marcus 3. I like this episode. Again, you know, we, we make fun of parts of these episodes and we do pick them apart at times. But I thought there were some really important themes discussed in this episode or dilemmas discussed in this episode, Dana. Oh, yeah. I think this... Uh kind of the overall philosophy of this episode is really fascinating. What was that for you? It's the, uh, for, the first one was for me was like the challenge of command. So Dana, let's say you're in charge of the shuttlecraft. You've gotten rid of everything you can possibly get rid of from the ship to reduce weight. You've got to get rid of one person. Who do you... I would think that you'd have to nominate yourself. You've got Scotty on the ship who can pilot the ship. McCoy is there to uh, help out. And if somebody's injured, can help. Uh, don't know what Boma's expertise was, though he seemed to understand the effects of the quasar. Yeoman Mears is young and pretty and has a whole life in front of her. But dumb. So, okay. But she doesn't weigh 150 pounds. So <laughs> okay. <a> That's <laughs> a good point. Now, let's say you were the only person that could fly the shuttle. Then what? Yeah, again, uh, probably Boma. I know Mears doesn't weigh 150 pounds, but... It, it seems to me that she is the least useful. Yeah. I mean, if they wanted coffee or something like that, she could help them get coffee. Or Maybe she was the flight attendant, yeah. or as they would have called her at that time, <laughs> the stewardess. Why was she on the shuttle? They don't say anything about her in this. No. Other than she's a yeoman. Right. So you gotta, if you got to leave someone behind, let's say everything else being equal, and you were the only one that could fly the ship, if it were me, I would leave Mirrors behind. And don't give her a communicator because she's just going to be whining the whole time. I can't believe you guys left me on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about our best and worst parts, Dana. What was the best part for you? One of my favorite things is not a normal M-class planet that they always find. One of my best parts was the shuttle bay and the shuttle craft, both. How about another best part for you? The creatures. They're not necessarily humanoid, not something that can be reasoned with. So, you know, so many times they go to a planet and they're able to, everybody looks like humans and they're able to talk to them and uh, whatever they're doing, they're able to reason with them to some degree or fight with them just to a large extent. But in this one, there is no way that they could even communicate with these monsters. One of the other best parts for me was this moral dilemma 
of who would get left behind. However, that then leads to a worst part for me. But before I get to that, what was the worst part for you? Almost constant insubordination. Finally kind of reaches ahead and McCoy and Scotty say something, but it just bothered me because it was almost from the get-go that he was kind of after Spock. One of the other worst parts for me that is associated with the best part that I just mentioned, the moral dilemma of who gets left behind, they never forced to confront it because two people die, they get enough weight off the ship and they never really have to confront it. It seemed like an easy way out to me, Dana. So Dan, how are we doing on our counts this week? Awesome. Dana, I'm so happy finally. I mean, remember we had kind of a drought of crewman deaths for, I don't know, it seemed like it was four or five episodes. So we get three in this episode, Dana. It's pretty exciting. Our total now after 16 episodes is 23 and a half. If people are listening for the first time and wondering where that half comes from, go listen to the previous episode of this podcast <laughs> and you'll you'll figure it out. What about the shirtless Kirk, ripped shirt Kirk count, Dana? None. Yeah, nothing. Kirk, Kirk fought no one, didn't even break a sweat. Yeah, he was just sitting on the bridge like the whole time. Uh, so none. So the he's dead count. I really thought, Dana, we were going to get one in this episode. Yeah, I did too. Especially, I thought that's why the whole reason McCoy was along on the trip. Yeah, because he had two chances. Never said it. So this week, zero. We are stuck at three. I, I really thought after 16 episodes, Dana, we would add more than three. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. What about for this week? Nothing there. Nope. Zero once again. So we're stuck at one. All right, Dana. Hey, I had a great time this week. Oh, Dan, it's always a joy to do this. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we're for our listeners, we're taking a break for a few weeks. Yeah, that's right, Dana. But never fear, we will be playing repeat episodes, so you will still be able to get your fix of the Damn It Jim podcast. When we do get back, Dana, what will be the first new episode we'll be doing? Dan, we'll be doing the Squire of Gothos. All right, Dana. I will see you in. A- about four weeks. Well, once again, thanks, Dan. And thanks again to our listeners. Live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. We would love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook or Twitter. The links are in the show description. Dan and Dana will be on vacation, so join them again in four weeks for the Squire of Gothos. Until then, Damn It Jim, the podcast, will be playing some of its best episodes. Enjoy the rest of your week, and remember to live long and prosper.